Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. My guests for today's episode are Stephen Baker and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks and this is the Out of Our Minds Podcast. Here we are again. Hello, men. It's good to see you, Tim. Good how you to doing? See you, Lucas. I'm doing well. How are you? How's the electrical in your house? Is it okay? Oh, uh, it's <laughs> Nicholas Baker in the direction of Dan George. He owed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim was regaling us of uh, with his uh, his woes of the electricity in his garage, trying to get his lights on. And anyway, four way and three way switches. <laughs> Not only is he not a not an electrician, but he's also colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> and those two are connected. <laughs> a a left-handed uh, colorblind electrician. Uh, I know you're not left-handed. <clears throat> All right. Also with me today is Stephen Baker. How are you doing, Stephen? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. And of course, yeah. my name is Lucas Weeks. Today, we actually have a pretty heavy topic. We've just come out of Christmas, which of course is is a wonderful time, a time of joy. We're remembering the birth of the Christ child. But God ordained the history of his son coming into the world in such a way that it is it came not just with joy, but actually with terrible, terrible sadness. And so today we are talking about the slaughter of the innocents. Of course, what we're talking about is the story of Herod commanding that the the little boys be killed. In church history, in the liturgy uh, of the feast days, of of days of remembrance in the church calendar, this is something that regularly through history the church has remembered. Um, And I think Tim and I were talking a little bit a few moments ago that it's usually the 28th or 29th of December, shortly after Christmas, in other words, that you know, right after the joy of the Christ child being born, we are called by God through his word to remember this terrible, terrible, I don't know, I don't want to call it a tragedy, although of course it is tragic. It's it's wicked. It's a lot of things. I'm going to start with Stephen. I'm going to start with you. Can you just lay out, just in case our listeners don't remember the story or it's, they haven't read it recently, right. uh, what's, what's, what story am I referring to here? So, so this is in Matthew chapter 2. And you have uh, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, which is a fulfillment of prophecy of Scripture, right? And then you have Herod the Great, who, uh, when the, well, the Magi come to town, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From the east, these astronomers or whatever they were, they, they come and they... Some um, kind of royalty, it seems, oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and wealthy. Mm-hmm. And they come to... Jerusalem to inquire about the star that they've seen. Mm-hmm. And of course they go where the only place they think to go. They go to King Herod himself and ask about this Messiah, where he is to be born. And then of course, Herod calls the Magi in, uh, you know, asks them when, did the, what's the timing of this and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where is he going to be? And once you find him, go bring him to me so that I can worship him. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So you have all of that. They follow the star, the Magi do to where Jesus is now living. He's, he's uh, not in the manger of course anymore, but a little bit older. They come into a house that says in, in Matthew two eleven, where Jesus is there with Mary. And it says they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Gave them their presence. This is where you get the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then it says, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, get up and take the child and go to Egypt. Herod is going to search for the child and try to destroy him. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so he got up and and he took... Jesus and Mary, and of course, they, in the middle of the night, it says, and they went to Egypt and stayed there until Herod died. And then it says, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged mm-hmm. and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem. Now, if you know, if you read like the history of this man, you read about him in, in uh, the writings of Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, mm-hmm. um, this is what he does. He gets enraged. Okay. <laughs> 
he gets enraged all the time about everything, and he killed people left and right. He, he's a, a very paranoid guy. He's very paranoid, <laughs> and just an awful, awful well, man, and an awful ruler, and an awful everything. Okay, let's let's just pause here just for a second mm-hmm. again to talk about this guy. This uh, there's there's a few Herods that appear in the New Testament. So right. just in case you're confused, yeah, this is Herod the Great, right? And it's actually his, I believe, his son who becomes Herod the Tetrarch at the mm-hmm. time of the crucifixion. Right. And so... He's the one that uh, is eaten by worms and dies. Which? The son. The son, yeah. right. In the okay. book of Acts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, uh, you can read about the death of Herod again in Josephus, mm-hmm. which is, I, I actually have read recently, and mm-hmm. it's like, uh, almost exactly the same kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he, like his bowels burst out and all kinds of things. You <laughs> yeah. read the description and he kind of, he got his comeuppance, uh, even in this life and how, how he died. But this is a guy, Herod the Great is a guy who got to where he was by just total ruthless, right. you know, right. any kind of method. I mean, he was paranoid to the, to the point of killing his own family members, his That's own right. wife. Yep. I mean, he, but he also was ruthless in, in realizing who he needed to appease and who he needed to fight against. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in being a ruler of the Jews, in fact, he called himself the king of the Jews, mm-hmm. uh, although he wasn't exactly a Jew. I believe he was an Edomite, right. which has historical connections with the Jews, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the things that he did to ingratiate himself with the people mm-hmm. is he built all kinds of amazing Well, uh, the things. temple, right, the precisely. Herod's temple, that's the temple that Jesus would have uh, known on the earth, mm-hmm. when, you know, when he was mm-hmm. alive. That's the temple we read about in the Gospels. Yeah, let's make no mistake. This was a sophisticated man. He had a temper. He killed people, but mm-hmm. he also was an extremely good diplomat. Mm-hmm. He managed to keep his head when the emperors of Rome changed, which mm-hmm. was an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about the Hippodrome and the various venues, and he presided over the NFL games. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he attended them. The people loved the fact that he loved their sports mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that temple, mm-hmm. let's remember all of us who are very, very committed to reclaiming cathedrals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bill Hybels and his Willow Creek Temple to corporate churchianity. And in other words, there's been a lot of temples that have been built by evangelicals in Mm -hmm. the last decades. Mm -hmm. And everybody in Jerusalem was proud of Mm -hmm. this temple that he had built them. And you see the disciples saying, look at this place. Isn't this wonderful? And so we need to be aware it was Herod that did it. He did it for the Jews, and he did it explicitly. I mean, I have the quote here where when he built the temple, Mm -hmm. what he said actually was to make a thankful return. This was what he said to the Jews when he built the temple, to make a thankful return after the most pious manner to God for the blessings I have received from him who has given me this kingdom and to do this by making his temple as complete as I am able. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm glad things are different now. Political leaders don't ever trade on the name of God. You know, <laughs> it's nice that that doesn't <laughs> right. happen. <laughs> it makes me think of a book that I, I read. I, th- I listened to it with Bob Kaplowitz, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Preacher and the Presidents. It was just mm-hmm. a fascinating chronicle of the way Billy Graham... I mean, it, it was about Billy Graham, of course, but it's really about evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And he just simply baptized all the presidents since like Eisenhower or something. Mm-hmm. And in particular, it, it noted his warm, affectionate relationship with Richard Nixon. But, you know, he's just a placeholder. Billy Graham is just right. a placeholder for evangelicalism. We we cozy up to power is what we want to do. Yep. So, okay. So then here's the thing, though. Yeah. Let me, fi- let me finish the story mm-hmm. because... Of course, he orders that all the male children um, who are in Bethlehem and the vicinity from two years old and under, according to the timeline that he had gathered from the Magi, right, were killed. Mm. And here's the interesting thing, a couple of places here. Then what had then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Hmm. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. 
And before that, it said Joseph and Mary and Jesus had to go to Egypt to run away from Herod. And it says, this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so you you, you started by talking about the tragedy of all of this, mm-hmm. and it is tragic and it's wicked and uh, worthy of, of incredible judgment, which of course Herod received mm-hmm. both in this life, you know, in, in the end of his life and of course in eternity. Um, and yet at the same time, Matthew, the Holy Spirit through Matthew is quick to point out this is all this is wrapped up with god's eternal plan that was prophesied before you know hundreds and hundreds of years before and so i i think it's i think it's good for us to remember that why because this world is not out of control even the even these kinds of things that are awful we don't we we can't it's not either acknowledge how awful they are or trust you know that god is sovereign over them we do both and we're gonna as we talk about the evils of our time Mm -hmm. it's not either or it's not either these things are awful god can't doesn't have the power to stop them or the will to stop them or whatever they're just awful and we just have to live with it and it stinks you know what i mean that's not the answer as we think about as we talk about this stuff Mm. that leaves us in a place of despair that leaves god out of the picture and clearly but this text is written so that we are to understand that God is, this, these things are actually fulfillments of prophecy. Does that make sense? It does. And again, that doesn't take away anyone's culpability. It doesn't take away anyone's culpability, but I think that you, you would never say that God is the author of evil. No. And yet you're telling me that it wasn't out of God's control. Um, of course not. That Wouldn't that be terrible if it was out of God's control? You have the glorious coming of the Christ child right, right there, right yeah. there next to just the most horrible thing that anybody can imagine. And yet it's all under God's control. It was prophesied long before. So the question is, how do we deal with the slaughter of the innocents? Do we deal with it as an, a momentary aberration in the glistening, <laughs> maternal, mm. infantile, you know, agrarian, mm. a blip mm-hmm. on the screen that if I had been an editor... You would have I would have removed. how to remove the yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you'd been the director of the movie, you would have gotten rid of that part. Mm. And that's what evangelicals do. That's what reform people do today mm-hmm. is they pay lip service to the fall, original sin. Mm-hmm. But then they speak of grace constantly and they they jump over accounts like this and certainly over the fact that it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Because then what is God the author of evil? If God could have stopped it, why didn't he? Mm-hmm. How many children died? How many mothers? Well, actually this story is about God protecting his son. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And there was something to protect him from, which is that as usual, leaders are wicked. Donald right. Trump was wicked. Richard right. Nixon was wicked. Mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan was wicked. Yeah. And you, father, listening, and the husband of you, wife, and I mm-hmm. are wicked. The reason Jesus had to come is that we are wicked. And so right. what God did was God used a man, Joseph, and the the Magi, the these men, astrologers, astronomers. He used them to protect his son because Herod was wicked and he was enraged and he wanted to kill Jesus. And guess what? God God won. So what we really need to focus on here is the banality of evil. Yeah. And in particular even infanticide. Infanticide. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you start reading the history of that. And of course we we kind of know this, but I mean obviously the Greeks and the Romans constant infanticide usually by uh they were too delicate to kind of get their hands dirty so they just left them out and let them die by exposure constant yeah, but it's around the world india japan china yeah this is not the pagan europeans you know before the, before christianity came mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is just and often and of course the canaanites you know and often it was just out of a convenience or preference they didn't want a girl mm-hmm. or the child was handicapped mm-hmm. but off very often in sacrifice to their gods, mm. they they shed their blood, and so this is just the the only glimmer of 
relief from that <laughs> comes through Christ mm. and and the church. Because even the Israelites did it. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, it's constant. You read yeah. the history of Israel, it's constant that they give their children to the to the mouth of right. Moloch. They you know, burn them alive. Yeah. You and I have had some exchanges recently about news sources like the New York Times and how corrupting they are. And I have to admit that I use Wikipedia all the time, all the time. I mm-hmm. suppose most of us do at mm-hmm. this point. And I don't trust it, but I use it all the time because it's just right there. I was looking up some of this history and they always like to point out the Bible says this, but actually, you know, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they pointed out was that the, the religion of the Hebrews or the, or the Jewish people was actually, you know, polytheistic and, and whatever else, you know, lots of these d- different kinds of gods. And I was thinking like, well, <laughs> actually the Bible does tell us that, you know, yeah. repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That was their so, practice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But can we go ahead? Well, I just want yeah. you, you said banality of evil. Yeah. Nobody knows what banality means. What is what do, what do you mean by that phrase? Well, think of what has been done to the to the biblical precious doctrine of grace, unmerited favor from God. How it's just on everybody's lips. We're much worse than we could ever imagine, and God's grace is much greater than we could ever. And preach gracefully, and and pick your nose gracefully, and eat gracefully, and <laughs> okay. grace, 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 grace. Well, that is banal. That has taken a precious concept and doctrine of God's unmerited favor given to us and cheapened it to such an extent that it's just become yawn um, something you would yawn at Mm -hmm. so it doesn't just mean commonplace or no no No, it's beyond commonplace it's boring Mm -hmm. it is sleep inducing soporific it but it it but what you have to understand is that it's in the context of the third reich yeah and the holocaust yeah that phrase came um what is her name hannah Hannah Arendt. Arendt. yeah And so what she's saying is something that should evoke from us the most horror mm-hmm. imaginable has just become common, boring, and soporific. Yep. And so that's what we've done to grace. And really, the treatment of children all across history has been consistently to kill them in furtherance of our ambitions. Mm-hmm. That's why they killed their children, offered them to Moloch. That's why we kill our children in the womb. We want to finish our degree. We don't want a handicapped child. It's an inconvenient time. We already have two children, and three would be embarrassing. You know. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you read Scripture and you see endless warnings of God's hatred of bloodshed. Mm. And you read of certain kings that they filled Jerusalem with blood. Yeah. Okay. Always our immediate visceral response should be to say, I do it. It's evil. I do it. How do I do it? But nobody mm. ever does that now because we're all so grace, grace satiated that we don't say, how do I shed blood? Well, the minute you realize that you've met the enemy and he's you, that you are a lover of bloodshed, you, you, me, then you look and you see the slaughter of the innocents today. It's a genocide that boggles the mind. It's in the billions, the multiple billions of children have been killed by our use of IUDs, of uh, hormonal birth control pills, plan B, um, Surgical abortion, uh, chemical abortion, the RU486 similarities uh, that are now dispensed, probably they're the majority of abortions that are committed by Planned Parenthood now are actually chemical and not mm-hmm. surgical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's on a scale that it absolutely dwarfs any genocide that there has ever been. And it is a genocide because genocide is simply the, the, the mass slaughter of people mm-hmm. sharing certain identification marks, certain categories right. of existence, certain appearance. Mm-hmm. Well, these are all little children who can't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I want to say one other thing about this that's interesting. Okay. Earlier we were talking, it was like 
all three of us were going, well, you can't choose God of evil. Well, the prophecy is made, well, but God could have stopped it. Well, why didn't God stop? If he could, why didn't he? And and isn't this, like Theodos, isn't this at the center of why so many people are not willing to bow to God and his authority? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's prophesied. Well, if it's prophesied, God knew beforehand, was going, why didn't God stop it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, flip that to today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Today, we, the people in our churches, let alone unbelievers, are killing their children. All right. Mm-hmm. And yet, we have such a deep horror at the slaughter of the innocents. But we don't have deep horror mm-hmm. no, at the right. slaughter of innocence today. Now, why is that? This is a little trick question. <laughs> why is that? Why is it that we're horror-stricken at the slaughter of the innocence of Bethlehem? That makes me think of that line, it's very hard to convince a man of something when he's paid to not understand it. <laughs> I got the line wrong, but we're complicit in this. We benefit from the status quo right now. Yeah. I think that that's bound up with it. All I want to say is the women in Bethlehem wanted their children. We don't want ours. Mm. And so we don't see the wickedness and the horror of what we do. But we see with 2020 vision the horror of those women because they mourned. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so an awful lot of it has to do with our perception of evil coming from whether or not we feel like we were masters of our fate or not. Nobody should take out of a woman's life her ability to choose whether or not her child lives. If she chooses that her child will live, then she should be able to have her child live because choice is paramount. Is paramount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that really gets us emotionally about this is that these women had no choice. And I want to point out that that is not good, mm-hmm. that that's how we react. And it shows the degree to which we have been formed by our culture. We were talking earlier about a documentary called One Child Nation. Is that what it's called? It's about China. Yeah. Present. I haven't seen it yet. We were talking about it with around the pastor's table earlier. And there's a Chinese woman and she just exposes the awfulness of the one-child policy. All the children, literally, like in trash cans and dumpsters, and you know, just massive, massive numbers. And then one of the guys who had watched it said, at the end, the same woman who was exposing all the evil of China, at the end says, "Now, isn't it great that in America, you get to decide whether or not you you, you get an abortion?" And there are bad people in America wanting to take away that choice. So the whole point is, wow, it's bad when they force you, but it's the the highest good when you get to decide to kill your mm. baby. You know, we have to look at how constant across history it has been to kill defenseless children mm-hmm. in, out of the womb, older, younger. I remember reading the New Yorker back in 87. Back then, it was Russia that was involved with Afghanistan, and they were all <laughs> losing as mm-hmm. we ended up losing. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. we didn't mm-hmm. learn from Russia. No. Nope. But yeah. they had an article on March 16th, 1987 issue in the New Yorker, and it was a reporter at large, the catastrophe, and they were talking about the Russians in Afghanistan. And of course, back then, the Russians were our enemies. And the reporter writes, Quote, as always, every story began. So this is what all the Afghans would say about Russia. Quote, the Russians bombed our village and we came over the mountains to this place. A woman said that when the Russians found people in a village, they slit the women's stomachs and killed the children, quote, for fun, unquote. Mm -hmm. What I found so ironic. Oh, absolutely. It's all through the literature of war. That's what. You know, that's that's what it says in Scripture about who mm-hmm. was it. And Amos is talking yeah. about who is it, the Edomites? Thus says the Lord, Amos 1, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four I will not revoke its punishments because they ripped open the pregnant women mm. of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. When it comes to this, the thing that I thought was so striking about it, again, the New Yorker, when they're trying to absolutely savage Russia mm-hmm. for the most awful things that were done, they talk about in war ripping open pregnant women and killing their children. Mm-hmm. 
And that same New Yorker has spent decades defending and speaking of the high morals of women making decisions and being able to to kill their unborn children. Hmm. And it's just it's just mind-boggling. Hmm. Again, I think the only difference is these women wanted their children and the Russians took them from them. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas a woman going to Planned Parenthood or a woman going to the Kroger pharmacy and taking pills, well, she's exercising her self-determination you know that's how we view evil and good in our world as long as nobody screws around with your ability to do what you want then that's the high moral position so we actually made a jump i I think we need to be more explicit about it we were talking about the account in scripture we're talking about herod slaughtering the innocents and the reason that he did that is why because he was paranoid guy and he was protecting his own power mm-hmm. his own position he did not want to broach i mean he was so paranoid like we said earlier that he killed his own family members who threatened his power his control and so he was not at all going to hesitate to slaughter mm-hmm. some useless right small children and so Same. he went ahead and did that but we made a jump immediately to start talking about things like abortion uh, why i mean isn't this a, isn't that a story about political power and the removal of choice and is it not a story about authorities gone awry why what is the connection to abortion because it's killing of children it's horrible Mm -hmm. it's slaughter historically it's called the slaughter Mm -hmm. of the innocents Mm -hmm. we don't know how many probably somewhere between 10 and 50 Mm -hmm. but it's horrible and what we do is we try to remove it from Christmas celebration. We put it after Christmas, after we've celebrated babies Christmas Eve, mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. we've opened the presents. Mm-hmm. And we have no faith to show our children and our grandchildren why Jesus had to come and die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because again, this was the norm. Mm-hmm. It really was the norm. This is nothing. And it's the norm today. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I think it's important to see that you know, it was a norm in the pagan world. Mm-hmm. The Christians came along, collected babies from the hillsides and saved in Rome, mm-hmm. raised them as their own sons and daughters. Constantine 318 outlaws infanticide. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing to think you know, about so that. So things actually Th- do there change. There had to be a law. Yeah. I mean. And yeah. It, yeah, and it, whether, how well it was uh, enforced, all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless. later outlawed homosexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the gladiatorial games, right? All those kinds of things. So Christianity does, in fact, have an influence on society. And this is why we can look back on a period of time when, in the Western world, abortion was not legal. Mm-hmm. And that's because of Christ. That's because of this coming of Christ. Now we're reverting back to just the rank paganism. What do pagans do? They kill their children or other people's children. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're nothing. That's yeah. the point. They're just literally They're defenseless. They can't do nothing. anything about it. Yeah. They're in the way. Yeah. And for whatever motive, you know, it's, it's, but it's always power, money, and sex. Let's make it even more explicit why we're bringing this up. First of all, can you understand that we're bringing up the slaughter of the innocents because it's cheek by jowl, a part of the nativity. It's part mm-hmm. of the birth of Jesus. It's part with Joseph. It's part with Mary. It's part with Jesus. It's part with the wise men. It's part with Herod. It is mm-hmm. integral. It is more integral to integral to the story than the shepherds. More. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so... We don't like, well, look at the shepherds, they come and go. Yeah. But it's, it's the conversation with Herod beforehand, mm. the prophecies about Bethlehem, they mm. show up, they mm-hmm. give the gifts, then they're warned right. to not go back and do what Herod asks, which is tell me, I want to go worship him too. And then you see God telling Moses, I mean, <laughs> there's the Freudian slip, <laughs> telling Joseph to take him down, and then out of Egypt I've called right. my son. Yeah. Well, yeah. that is a... Uh, well, you could say it's a type and antitype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. But you don't get the the uh, the shepherds aren't prophesied in Scripture, you know, but this is. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's so fascinating is we want to write this out of Christmas. Mm-hmm. We desperately want to write it out. We don't want our kids asking why God allowed that to happen. Yeah. 
And I'm pointing out to you that part of that is because we don't like the fact that those women wanted their children, wanted them, and they were killed. That's what the horror of Afghanistan and the Russians, those women wanted their children and the Russians ripped their bellies open and killed their children. And so we have this way of always protecting ourselves from what? We protect ourselves as Christians from any complicity, let alone active participation in the horrors that we want to say naughty, naughty, naughty to the world about. Mm -hmm. The fact is incest is in our churches, divorce, adultery, fornication, abortion, and bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And many of us have killed our unborn children by our use of what in the New Testament is called pharmacopoeia. You know, it's where you get pharmacy from, which were drugs that killed. Mm -hmm. And you read the Didache, and it talks about not aborting. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. And so, this is a very old thing. Right. Now, one other thing to say. To the degree that we try to push away from us participation in the slaughter of the innocents back then, that was horrid mm -hmm. Herod. <laughs> okay? Herod the horrid. We will then not see that he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Mm. To the degree that we refuse to look carefully at what God reveals about the actual sins at the actual time that Christ came, all right, mm -hmm. we cannot be happy for Jesus. Our kids can't understand why Jesus needed to come if we don't show them the slaughter of the innocents and then say that's going on at Planned Parenthood in the Kroger Pharmacy right now, right now. Mm. We're, we are committing bloodshed. Our church, our community, the people that are our neighbors. Mm -hmm. This is the same world we live in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's not another podcast in the Christian world that will say this to you. You know, you think of organizations like Planned Parenthood and the secular organizations that want to liberalize these, or I don't want to even want to use that word. They want open season on questions of abortion on these children. They use slogans like every child, a wanted child, mm -hmm. right? And I, mm -hmm. I realized it clicked in my brain like, well, why don't we want the children? And I found that actually to be one of the most effective ways to talk to somebody who's pro-abortion. I ended up in a conversation with a young lady. I was just saying, well, we should love these children. We need to want them. But then you ask, do we want the children in the church? And even if we grant what I don't think is true, that we're not having abortions, I, I don't think that's true. But even if we were to grant that the church is not having abortions, do we want the children? Mm -hmm. I think the answer is no. It, it's most obviously no, mm -hmm. right? Well, we want the children, but we want we want to have children in a responsible way. We want to be stewards of the gift of children, of the blessing of children. We want to make sure that we don't lose control. Mm. I, I worked with a couple of Irish Catholics in Boston when I was in seminary, and I had a pastor, Mary Lee and I did, who was graduate of Westminster, good man. And uh, he had a large family. One day, we went in, and we were sitting at lunchtime down in the Cabot Corporation downtown. We cleaned the carpets every month, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Top five floors, the hallways of the second through fifth floor and the entire carpet of the top floor every <laughs> month. It was mind-boggling. Anyhow, we're sitting around talking. I say to these Irish guys, they say, yeah, my pastor's having another child. Well, how many does that make, Timmy boy? <laughs> I said, well, I, this, this will be, I think it was his eighth or ninth. Timmy boy. Now, mind <laughs> you, these guys were conservative Roman Catholics. Yeah, yeah. Timmy boy, his eighth child? I said, yeah. And he said, does that man know how that happens? <laughs> and I kind of laughed and said, I think he does. Well, I hope so, because it, I hope he doesn't, because if he does, he's a pervert. <laughs> oh, no. And I've never forgotten these uh, conservative Irish Catholic guys <clears throat> just having an expectation that a man will control his fertility, that that's basic fatherhood, basic husbandry, basic Christianity, basic Americanism. And so when you think about us not wanting 
more than a few, people would say, well, we love the children we have, or, well, we feel like we need to give our children that we already have enough care and should not rob from them the ability of going to college or going to private schools. Mm -hmm. And so there's only a certain amount that you can count on God to help you with financially and Mm time-wise. And we want our children to have, you should have as many children as you can educate responsibly. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is what a national leader said, his wife said it at my brother's church. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, that is not an openness to children. Mm. That is an openness to a lifestyle option. But that is not simply saying to God, thank you for blessing my marriage and my home with children. I love it. Okay. In other words, if your basic approach, I had an elder of mine at at ECC once say to me, well, Tim, I look at abortion as a question of stewardship Mm -hmm. because he had just encouraged somebody on our staff to to consider having an abortion Mm -hmm. for a reason I won't go into. Mm -hmm. It's a godless thing to say. Mm -hmm. It's a godless thing to look at abortion as a matter of stewardship. And I think everybody listening will say, yes, you just don't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how the entire church has always viewed the question of marital love, that marital love God has made to be fruitful. And if it's not fruitful, it's a cause of great tragedy and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And so our basic approach to God should be to welcome children, to love children, to welcome children. And so the whole concept of wanted and unwanted, you know, it's such a tight, uh, stingy, kind of scrooges way of looking at children well. I tell you guys the story of my friend Ben Sheldon, pastor of Bethany Collegiate Presbyterian in Philadelphia, outside in Havertown. And Ben was a missionary to Korea, and he and his wife were godly. I loved them. Uh, They had lots and lots of children. One day after church, he was standing out in front of the church, and a new couple was there. It was a substantial church. And the new couple introduced themselves and then introduced four children. After they got done introducing their children— the woman pointed at one of the kids and says, that was our accident. (laughs) And Ben, his hair stood on end. I said, what did you say? He said, I looked at her and I said, what a godless thing to say about one of these children God has blessed (laughs) you with. (laughs) And that (laughs) was so helpful to me. (laughs) It just sort of rejiggered my whole existence for Ben. You know, we did. I didn't ask him if they stayed at his church. Right. Nothing. He had, he had readjusted my back. You know, he was a good chiropractor. Yeah. You know, and he made me see that we have to welcome children. What we have to realize is this talk of welcoming children and every child a wanted child is incomprehensible at any other time in history. Mm. It's incomprehensible, except to the rich people who want to limit who comes over the border and are afraid of the masses of poor people who threaten their hegemony and who threaten their wealth and their lifestyle. Now, are you channeling with me? Which is Egypt and Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where children are unwanted because they were petrified that the Hebrews were so fertile by God's blessing, Mm -hmm. you know, that they were going to take over their country, that when they got attacked, the Hebrews were going to fight on the side of their enemies, that they posed a threat, these immigrants, Mm -hmm. to their national identity. Hearing you say that, you can't help but think of the Muslims in Europe, not the Christians, of course. And the Hispanics in America. And the Hispanics in America. Are they perceived as a threat? Oh, You betcha. (laughs) You betcha. That's exactly right. And so, if we talk about the slaughter of the innocents, be thankful. Be thankful. Because God has it in his word for a reason. Mm. And if we show that we're not distant from that day, that we ourselves are guilty of bloodshed as a nation, as individuals in our families, if we show that our churches are then be thankful because this too Jesus died for. Mm. This is why this little baby was sent. And don't sit in judgment on God. We don't need to judge God. Mm. He will judge us. (laughs) And no matter what wickedness is recorded in Scripture, all of it came from Adam. Mm -hmm. And don't ever Mm -hmm. forget that those little children were in conception 
they were born in evil, just as David said, in sin my mother conceived me. Mm-hmm. And so this world is not this sweet, good-smelling. Christmas is not the holiday you think it is. And so if we're going to reform Christmas, let's really reform it and bring back the celebration of the slaughter of the innocents afterwards because nothing presents a p- more perfect picture of why his name shall be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I love that you brought up earlier that the story really is God protecting his son yeah. and sending mm-hmm. him down to Egypt and then out of Egypt. And, and from us, saving him from us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we, we need to recognize how proud the Jews were of the temple that Herod had built. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. we can't distance ourselves from that madman, paranoid, psychotic Herod. Mm-hmm. Back at that time, he was a ruler that the Jews largely loved. I mean, he did some evil things, but then Donald Trump does some evil things. But generally, he kept things in order. He was a good diplomat. Mm-hmm. And he look at the temple he built. Even the disciples said that to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. There's all kinds of practical things that can come out of this conversation that we need to be we need to walk away with Uh, of course one of them that you can't fail to mention is that we have to have our hearts open for the blessing of children in our family in our families i have seven children and it's been very sweet our latest addition uh her name is pascal poppy (laughs) and she's been a very good baby except Mm -hmm. recently she had a little little bit of a (laughs) (laughs) she took a trip down with her mother uh, to Tennessee, and that was a little challenging, but mm-hmm. uh, just been very sweet, and it's been very sweet to see the other children love on this new addition. Um, even, well, would you, yeah, would you describe Mary? We well, yeah. Her? So we we have a handicapped daughter, Mary, who is number five. She's going to turn seven in uh, just a few days, December twenty eighth, hmm. and it's really sweet. Even she, <laughs> I mean, anytime Poppy appears, she kind of goes into her apoplectic fits <laughs> of you know shrieks and whatever excited to see her and then she always wants to reach out and grab her and so we we take her take poppy over and, and let mary put her into a headlock kind of for a little bit is which is what she does she squeezes the tar out of her and it's really sweet because uh poppy uh like she just takes it i don't know i suspect that when she's two or three years old she may not take it so quite yeah. so well <laughs> but yeah. she's just like sitting there Little allowing her daughter, sister to strangle her practically. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going through my mind, this whole conversation is like, okay, you say that we shouldn't just be all about control. I'm thinking like, you know, things feel a little out of control. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, a little more control would actually be a little nice. You know, that would be good. (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. and so I don't know. I don't know. This is this is just. But Lucas, so everybody needs to know. Lucas is my son-in-law, and he's <laughs> married to our daughter Hannah. Mm-hmm. And my perspective, and you know, you might be cynical about this after all. But there's reason to be, I suppose. <laughs> but my perspective is when I see all the different people, and especially our grandchildren who participate in walking Mary Louise in her little small wheelchair across the back of the church. And when I see her at our family reunions and when I hear her screaming, her efforts to sing, mm-hmm. um, she's, she's not verbal at all. She is fed everything through a tube. What is the condition she has? Um, CFC, cardiofaciocutaneous syndrome. <laughs> but those of you who are curious, but... The beautiful thing is she and Lexi and Bob and other people who have serious handicaps, people who visibly are suffering Mm -hmm. through blindness, through various physical defects, and people who suffer emotionally because their father did things to them when they were young, their uncle, and people who suffer emotionally because they have predisposition to depression Mm -hmm. or they're a bit psychotic. (laughs) or they're manic. Anyhow, my point is, these are precisely the children that we don't want. They're unwanted, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. If we could, we would kill them in the womb. And that has been the entire direction of amniocentesis 
uh, in utero testing is, on the one hand, if we can solve the problem, but on the other hand, if we can kill the problem before it's born and the mother right. gets attached to it, okay? Mm -hmm. We have no idea how God works in us through Rachel weeping. Mm. All of these sufferings are gifts to us from God. Death is a gift from God. It is an enemy, and it is a gift. It's better to live in the house of mourning than in the house of partying, says Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so we need to recognize that God doesn't see things the way we do, and that when we participate in the suffering of others and love them, that then we learn the truth that unless you become like a little child— and Mary Louise has been a tremendous gift to you and Hannah. Oh, yeah. And to your children, the character development in your children that we've seen from her. Mm -hmm. And even, I have to say, I benefited somewhat. Mm -hmm. And my mm -hmm. wife, incredibly, because she's mm -hmm. over there constantly. Yeah. Right. And so, can we please not be so cocky about what child is wanted, what is unwanted, how you exercise stewardship over the womb, how many you should have, be, 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 be. it's just mm -hmm. so disgusting. How, here's an idea. Let's live by faith. God has control. God is sovereign over death over killing, over blood, you know, over I think, all these things. I think that's right. But I think maybe we can tie it back to choice because I feel like, you know, even as we are uh, reformed, evangelical, or Christians, we like to say that we reject this sort of American idolatry of choice. We, man, we just think that we are going to make the right choices and we're going to do things in such a way that our children are going to be this way and we're going to our houses and just everything. I don't know. Everything's just going to line up. Right. Mm -hmm. When what God really calls us to do is to walk by faith every day. And we're, we're not trying to enshrine making the best choices. Well, making everything smooth and comfortable yeah, and hating any thought of discomfort or inconvenience or pain. Yeah, it's, and it's you, when we experience those things, we think, Houston, we have a problem, we've done something wrong, right. everything's messed up, when in fact, God ordained it long time beforehand that Rachel would be weeping. And so, this isn't a screw-up, this is what God has for us. Yes, and we should not look at Rachel weeping as an exceptional moment in history. It's exceptional yeah. in that it being a function of the ruler, just wiping out a category of people in a certain place, and those people are innocent, defenseless little children, mm -hmm. okay? That's mm -hmm. eh, horrible, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But what we have to realize is if Jesus was sent, and he was to be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins, mm -hmm. and we look at the killing of unborn people, Preborn, born, handicapped, the Elderly. starvation of defective newborns here in Bloomington, baby doe, the starvation and the suppression of vital functions through mm -hmm. drugs of the elderly. And then all of a sudden we realize this isn't other people, this is me. And I know everybody listening is going to say, no, 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 it was Herod. It, 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 it's not us. We don't. We don't. And then I think, well, okay, apparently he will save other people for their sins, but not his people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have to realize that God has this vivid, vivid illustration of the sin and the wickedness of man right there, cheek by jowl next to the birth of his child. Mm -hmm. And all of us should look at those children as being our children, right? I mean, mm. obviously, nobody's going to argue with that. All of us should look at Herod as our champion. Hmm. Yeah. We can't be so clean as we think we are with the slaughter of the innocents. Hmm. I'm almost 40 years old, so you have to imagine I was born in the United States. In fact, I was born in Bloomington, Indiana in 1982. You were born here in Bloomington in 1982. Yeah, that's Baby Doe. That's right. The same year Baby Doe was born in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. yeah. A small esophageal blockage, mm -hmm. but mentally handicapped. The parents starved the baby to death, and the baby 
screamed, and the nurses went berserk listening to him starve to death. Mm. And one of our elders, clerk for the judge that presided over that judicial execution. Hmm. And C. Everett Coop was the Surgeon General then. And what C. Everett Coop said about Baby Doe after his, whatever happened to the human race with Francis Schaeffer, he said, I have to remember that I'm not just Baby Doe's doctor, Surgeon General, but I'm also the parents and his physician, Surgeon General. Hmm. And Coop didn't do anything. Hmm. I mean, he, he spoke a little bit, but... He told me that he had 50 people from around the country write him offering to adopt that baby. Mm. And somehow the Surgeon General of our United States found a way of promoting condoms and standing against smoking and a whole bunch of things. But Baby Doe was on his watch and he was a dear friend of our families. And Baby Doe was starved to death. All in the name of the comfort of the parents. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what he said. Yeah, I have to, I have to be worried about the mental health of the parents. Essentially, yeah. and it was an, it was an operation that was nothing to remove that blockage, so that baby, baby doe could eat and live. Same year as you. Yeah, and I actually was taken up to Riley too. Um, I mean, oh, really? Yeah, I was. I had. I wasn't breathing the way I was supposed to. Some sort of lung issue. My lungs were constantly filling up with fluid or something. Mm. So they had to drain them. I've got scars on my chest still from that. Mm. I would encourage you and your church to celebrate Holy Innocence, the feast, and to end the service with singing the Lutheran wonderful hymn called Children of the Heavenly Father. Mm. I don't know. Do mm. you guys know that hymn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, it's a favorite of our family. Because of uh, the loss of siblings when when I was growing up, and I want to, if I may, I, I'd like to read the words. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Children of the heavenly Father, safely in His bosom gather. Nestling bird, nor star in heaven, such a refuge e'er was given. God, His own, doth tend and nourish. In his holy courts they flourish. From all evil things he spares them. In his mighty arms he bears them. Neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord his children sever. Unto them his grace he showeth, and their sorrows all he knoweth. Though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaketh. His the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. And that hymn, we have to remember, is true about these little children. The mothers were weeping, but mm. the children, we believe, I believe, I'm not sure what you men believe, were transferred into the presence of the Lord. Mm. As a matter of fact, church tradition says that they are the first martyrs after right. the coming of Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, we will return to the topic of raising teenagers. I hope you join us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Stephen Baker. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. Bye for now.